Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition, to win at work, drive your career forwards, and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people, and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. So hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. A bit of an unusual one in two ways on today's session. So firstly, I actually have two guests within today's session. I have Richard Morin and Mark Jackson from Sage, and I'm going to introduce them in a little bit. But secondly, I'm actually going to hand over the reins and the control and the interviewing of this session to Mark as well. So why don't I start with a few introductions? Thank you both, Richard and Mark, for joining me on the session today. Mark, do you want to just Tell us a little bit about your role at Sage, and then we'll swap over to Richard. Yeah, no, thank you, Hannah. Thanks, thanks for the invite, and uh, and also the power on this to be able to to interview you for for, for a change. So, my, my name is Mark Jackson. I'm vice president at Sage Intact, so I'm responsible for a team of people who talk to our mid-sized and growing customers about the power of finance and accounting. That's it. That's a, that's a really nice way to describe your role there, Mark. And Richard, tell us a little bit about your role at Sage. Hi, thanks, Anna. So I'm Rich Moran. I'm the head of finance for the medium segment of Sage UKI, um, and that includes uh, Sage 200X3, but also a focus on Intact and Sage people. Brilliant. So Richard obviously comes very much from a practical hands-on, if that's the way to describe it, Richard, way of, of, of finance. So it's great to have um, obviously a mix of different viewpoints on today's session. So I'm actually going to hand uh, this session now over to Mark. And, and Mark, are you able to tell us a little bit about the report that we're going to talk about today? Yeah, no, thank you, Hannah. It's uh, nice to have the, have the power all of a sudden. So, so in terms of, of the report, so in, in a similar similar name to the, to the tag on, on, on this webcast, uh, our report is called CFO 4.0. So the report was created off the back of a report that we did last year, um, CFO 3, which was more about and the digital CFO. And really what we looked at this time was a number of different things, how COVID, how the COVID-19 pandemic had impacted the finance function, how it had impacted the alignment of relationships with other business stakeholders, how the CEO and CFO and finance teams had to change, what new skill sets needed to be brought into the organization to adapt and be well positioned for the future. And then finally, what digital tools finance leaders needed and what areas they needed to invest in to drive and deliver their jobs effectively and efficiently. So just in terms of the audience that we that we drew the, the report from, so it went out in the, the first quarter of this calendar year, went out to about 1,900 survey respondents, of which about six 700 were specifically from, from the UK. They were to finance leaders in organisations with less than a thousand employees and an annual revenue of at least $50 million from across industry, but primarily all the biggest areas are from retail, financial services, healthcare, hospitality, tech, and non-profit. 
it was a response that, that there was lots of interesting findings, Hannah, that, that that came out of the report. And obviously, for the rest of this, I'm, I, was, I was hoping I might be able to ask ask you guys for some some insight and some of your interpretations of that data. Absolutely. So, so in terms of the, the persona, because I must admit, I was quite surprised by some of the data that came out of this report generally. But there were three personas, weren't there, that, that were identified? Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there were there were three personas. So I think yeah, the concept that came out was there are, there are traditional finance skills, but also non-traditional skills that finance traditional finance leaders have typically picked up. And as a as a I guess as an output from it, we identified three specific roles. The first of those specific roles, or the first of those specific personas, as we called them, was something called the the chief facilitative officer. And, and uh, I'm just getting good at saying that that now, the chief facilitative officer. The second one was the chief fairness officer, and the third one was the the chief the chief futures officer. Each of those different roles come with a different set of characteristics and and um, behaviours that we see from the, those um, those personas. Perhaps we could take it. Should we take a little deeper dive into 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 each of them? Yeah, I think it'd be great to give some people some context uh, to the report. So I think the chief chief facilitative officer is they're they're the people that have been the traditional CFO, the traditional purists, but they've changed their focus onto much more future focused things, more strategic and more commercially aligned business advisors. And I guess, you know, from my perspective, having worked with Rich, uh, Richard on a, on a daily basis, this, these are certainly characteristics I see Rich bringing to the table in, in, uh, in our business. But maybe, you know, perhaps I can turn the table, Rich, maybe to you, uh, that chief facilitative officer, whether that's, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something you can relate to within your role? Absolutely. I think, you know, we still have to do the, the day job. We have to uh, get the accounts out. We have to do all the regular stuff. But actually, I think in part to do with recent circumstances with COVID, with Brexit, with the, the current crisis and um, inflation, I would say the chief facilitative officer is almost a CFO plus because you have to be able to react quickly to things. So, no, definitely we need to be able to uh, start to describe things possibly in a non-financial way uh, and work more broadly across the business, become that strategic advisor, as you say. The challenge with that one at times is where we do and where we do not necessarily have uh, the right data at our fingertips. And I think one of the challenges we've faced historically is obviously finance systems tended to have fixed closes and take maybe a week after a a month end to sort of give data. And I think this is one of the areas that uh, is certainly much needs to be explored a lot more in terms of digitalization and the sort of systems that we're using to enable us to, to have data at our fingertips to be more of a strategic advisor and use more real-time data. I reflect, Rich, actually, the first meeting you and I had, and I was sort of, you know, coming in to meet the the CFO of the business. I was expecting to be, uh, you know, blown away with a number of with, with numbers and data. And actually, we yeah, just had a we just had a business conversation, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the data the data came down the line, the numbers came down the line, but for us, it was initially just a business conversation that we had. No, that's absolutely right. I think you know you've got to understand the context of the business. I think the days when a, a finance leader can sit in the in the office and just sort of crunch the numbers. And not put any context around them, are numbered, to say the least. And Anna, one of the other findings that, that that we got out of this is, whilst we came up with three personas in particular, the chief facilitative officer was the one that most of the CFOs that we interviewed related most to. In that, sixty percent of UK CFOs said they they're probably currently most like the chief facilitative officer. 
is that is that something that you could you, you can see with the CFOs that you engage with on a daily basis? Oh, absolutely. I think business advisory being that right hand to the CEO has always been a, a key part of what that CFO role should be. But I think also what's super interesting is that certainly in, in my role, I'm seeing even those smaller businesses, you know, that mid-sized business, they're actually wanting that advisory piece. And that's where this whole part-time CFO role, this fractional CFO role is coming from, which I find really interesting. And and it's becoming more and more common. I don't know how much is due to COVID and people wanting an alternate lifestyle, but I'm seeing a lot of it, it, both in conversations that we're having with customers and they'll have a fractional CFO or part-time CFO in place, but also through my conversations with CFOs in role, they're telling me that they're working with multiple clients, which is which is a really interesting concept at that mid-level. And maybe much more strategic, right, and future-focused are the things that we that we certainly pulled out around the chief facilitative officer. Oh, absolutely. So this this role that these organizations that are having these part-time CFO roles, they will have a finance team in place as well, right? So either they'll have an F a strong. FC or, you know, um, in place. And so that CFO role is not doing the day-to-day accounting, which is sometimes how that CFO role in mid-sized businesses has been seen historically. It's very much an advisory role to the board and CEO or managing director, depending on the size of the organization, for how to use that data, what, what knowledge that means. So it's almost... In some ways, it's changing, it's taking away that traditional role of accountant, maybe. So there's an interesting dynamic happening, I think. I think perhaps the the facilitative officer is perhaps the closest to the traditional CFO. But let's move on to the second one. And the second one was the CFO that we called the chief fairness officer. So the chief fairness officer is somebody that's perhaps defined by their empathy, their focus on people, uh, trying to identify and work with you know, their reorganization not just from a commercial perspective, not for, but how are the philanthropic things that they do within society? They might be inter- They might be involved with DEI initiatives, potentially shouldering more of the responsibility of DEI initiatives. And we saw a lot of, you know, clearly at the moment, a, a lot of dialogue around the war in Ukraine and purpose with profit. The thing that interests me perhaps the most is that the chief fairness officer was a role that only 26% of the UK-based CFOs that we interviewed could could relate to. So again, perhaps, Hannah, I'll come to you first this time, if if that's okay. The Chief Fairness Officer, engagement with DI initiatives, their empathy and focus on on people. Is that, again, something that that you see within within your your community of CFOs? I think it's a really, what interests me with that only 26% saw that as something that they engage with. So whether that is... It's, is it only 26% see it as a major part of their day-to-day role or 26% actually see it as one of their responsibilities Would is an interesting dynamic. But certainly the concept of fairness, um, ESG and is, is coming out in day-to-day. So we're being asked a lot for ESG supportive reporting. So the ability to take those financial numbers and put them into an ESG Contact so things like carbon footprint is coming up a lot, and because the and certainly with the changes that are happening at the moment in terms of reporting standards, we're going to see that roll down from the enterprise level into the smaller, you know, the medium, smaller, mid-sized market. So we're seeing that, but I also think during COVID, 
there's been a lot of emphasis on how do we support our people? How do we support wellness generally? And, you know, obviously there is very often a financial impact yeah. to that, which, are, which is why I think it's sitting within that CFO role. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Hannah. De- definitely can relate to a lot of that as well. And, and, and Rich, from a, a people perspective, I know certainly within within your team, you're bringing in a different type of skill, a different type of individual, perhaps with you know, career path or trajectory that's not been traditional in, in, in its purest sense into finance. Absolutely. I think, you know, you've got to, not everyone's going to want to be a CFO, but you've got to bring people in who've got the capability to step up, up and outside of the numbers. But also, I just think with the jobs market being the way that it has been, with the skill set required being not just finance, we've reached out and recruited into my, the team that I work in over the last couple of years, brought people in who are more data heavy or systems heavy, but not necessarily skilled or tooled in uh, finance specific knowledge. So rather than bring finance people in and, and try and sort of, you know, have the same type of person and get them to do other stuff, we're bringing in people who've got data skills, who've got systems skills, who we can then bring on into the finance skill set, if you like. And I also think, you know, that the whole fairness agenda also plays very well in terms of, you know, people want to work in, in, in a, in a company that has not just a profit motive it has the purpose as you say and actually again when you're recruiting into uh, you know a, a challenging recruitment market it's, uh, it's useful to be able to more than useful you know it's essential i think to be able to demonstrate that the business has that agenda of fairness so i, I think the 26 percent is actually quite surprising as well but i suspect it is as hannah said more to do with the fact that that's probably the the percentage who see it as their primary role as opposed to something that has to be core, I think, to all CFO roles now. I mean, this sort of thing used to be more about personal sort of desire to get involved in something philanthropic. Whereas I think now, you know, these aspects have to be core to a business's being, to recruit people, to keep people, and also to demonstrate to customers that a business's interests are aligned to their objectives in life, basically. Yeah, there's certainly a war on talent out there. I think everybody would would would, would agree. Uh, Hannah, from from your organisation's perspective, and again, leverage in your experience, are, are you sort of seeing a tra- similar side of types of things to Rich? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, per- being purpose driven as an organisation, I think is like Richard said, it's almost a requirement moving forwards. I think there are a lot of organizations that are still making that change, which is interesting. But certainly from our perspective, that shift both to how we conduct ourselves, what we stand for is really, really important when we're having conversations with new recruits, whether that is in finance, whether that is in um, consulting, they want to know what we stand for. And more important, and just as importantly, our customers want to know who we are and what we stand for. Um, And I think that's where a lot of this purpose-driven profit is coming from, is is a multitude of angles. I don't think it's just internally, though it's, you know, it's obviously a big driver in the war for talent. But I also think it's been driven by consumers, whether that's B2B or B2C. There's a lot of ask about philanthropic endeavors, you know, like, are you involved in a charity program? What does that look like? There's conversations about, you know, how do you manage your carbon footprints? It starts, it was starting to see questions. It's not a requirement, but it is interesting. And also, you know, that there is obviously... Uh, the conversations where our, you know, our team want to know what we're doing. So we've made the big step around trying to to reduce our carbon footprint by um, installing solar panels. You know, and it was a a big win for us. 
So it actually sounds like you, you, you both relate quite nicely to the to the skills and traits of a, of a chief chief fairness officer. But just to, to, to move on with the, with the conversation, the, the third one, the third CFO that we that we um, that we identified, third persona was the chief chief future officer, and this this chief future officer was. Again, to use the same sort of numbers that we've used before, 39% of UK finance leaders believed that the industry needed a chief future officer. So, hey, what's a, what's a chief chief futures officer? So these are the these are the types of CFOs who are more likely to focus on business continuity, plan for new technologies, understand market changes, world events, the impact of operations on their business, and those those types of roles. So we were we were seeing a lot of insight in the in the research and common use of terms like agility and speed, reacting to to market trends. And I'll come I'll come to you. I think if if you don't mind again, do you see those trends? You know, those sort of terms used consistently within the conversations you're having. Yeah, and I see it from a couple of different angles. I think it's both the biggest requirement and also the hardest requirement to meet. So if you look at what is happening at the moment in terms of inflation, we, we mentioned that earlier. If you look at how fast and how volatile the world is at the moment in all different aspects, that both raises the need for that future looking role, but also makes it much harder to deliver. So rather than managing maybe one or two scenarios, you've got multiple that you, you know, multiple what if scenarios that you have to manage. And that is hard. Firstly, because you've got to get that data into a format where you can use it and it's it's it could, you know, it's, it's accurate, but also that you've got to then obviously manage and create multiple of those scenarios. So I think that is one of the most interesting pieces. So it's changing the shift from just reporting on historical data um, through to a much more future looking CFO. But again, it's, it's, it's the hardest shift. I think it's one of the the, mo- the biggest challenges for finance teams across the board at the moment is how do they become that forward-looking? And, and for me, it's about stepping away from becoming the backward-looking finance, the really comfortable role that everyone in finance has done for years into that looking through the, the front mirror instead of the rearview mirror kind of individual. And, and that comes with a big shift and it has to come through a combination of process of technology and systems as well. So, Rich, perhaps we'll, we'll come on to technology maybe in a little bit more detail, deal, detail shortly. But if you talk about you know, things like world events and market changes, and are, are you see, have you seen your role evolve um, over your, your time and doing you know the, the cool things that you've done over the over the over the years to be much more future focused? Absolutely, I think actually I'd reiterate almost everything Hannah said. I think it's probably the persona that most CFOs would aspire to be, but it's not necessarily the most comfortable place to be. And it's not the easiest thing to do. And I think this is where, okay, getting into things like digitalization and sort of getting the right tools in place to allow you to react quickly and to understand rapidly changing things, uh, sort of uh, the impact of rapidly changing events, you know, is really important. But I actually, yeah, I do think it's a challenge for a lot of CFOs. I think, you know, if, if I step back to the CFO 3.0 survey, we talked about sort of the different nature of organizations in terms of their willingness to adopt digitalization. And, and it's really, you know, it's quite interesting that there's still some barriers in businesses to this. The CFO really wants to be able to predict the future. And I think the difference between the, the chief future officer and the chief facilitative officer, because we referred to future in both of the personas, is actually the ability to project much further forward and to be a bit predictive 
And again, that's not necessarily the most comfortable place for a finance person to be because we like to rely on hard data. And as you know, the further out that you project, the harder it becomes because we didn't, you know, we did obviously didn't foresee COVID. We didn't foresee events of the last sort of four or five months. And, you know, and that's had a huge impact. So we need to be able to sort of, as Anna said, have lots of different scenarios, but be able to react quickly and put something sensible down and have a debate with the business and understand the trends within the business. And I think that's possibly the skill set that Chief Future Officer needs probably ever more to be able to actually get out in the business and understand what the business is doing. You alluded to that before, Mark, as well as just talk to the numbers, because projections are just projections. We need to get out and talk to the business. And I think that's something that we're trying to do in our business at the moment. So we're trying to look out sort of beyond the next 12 month budget cycle, which I know we've spent a lot of time recently talking about. But, you know, we, we need to be able to sort of come, come up with a few different views and then be very flexible around those when events change. And we'll move on to technology a bit now, perhaps, you know, just just. If you think, if you want to think about further down the line, terms like artificial intelligence and machine learning and predictive analytics start to come to mind. And the research um, identified the fact that UK finance leaders now prioritise digital skills over finance experience. We saw a lot of input on things like the metaverse and AI has been around for some time, but it's now an absolute constant in that most of the CFOs, the vast majority of the CFOs mentioned artificial intelligence when it came to those things to give them a view of you know the bigger picture visibility into uh, things that, that that may happen in the future so and just moving on to that sort of technology conversation Hannah is that you, know, you see there's different types of technologies being adopted and different types of skill sets being adopted around technology to give those futures officers are more of a an insight into into the future and predictive. I think it's def. I feel like it's happening more in the large enterprises than in the mid and the small. Personally, in that I think a lot of traditional finance teams don't have those skills, right? So I think there's a there's a whole piece about upskilling the existing teams because their roles are changing. So the days of having a sales legend clerk, a purchase ledger clerk, um, and those individual roles just entering data on a system is going to disappear in the not too distant future because of the great technology we have. So we have OCR scanning, we have, like you said, AI to identify mispostings and to help with reconciliations. We have all that great technology. And what is really exciting for me, I think, is that that is no longer the realms of the large enterprise. That is starting to come into the mid-market and small market. So it's more accessible and available to the everyday finance function than it has been historically. So for me, that's really exciting. But what I think, certainly those that have been in, I think new generation coming up are more digitally literate, if I can say that. But I think there is a there is a piece about how CFOs are investing in their existing teams and what skills they are doing. Because I see a real need for finance team members that are comfortable with implementations that have done them before. And unless, you know, implementing a finance system can be a, or used to be a once in a lifetime event that you would just do once and then it'd be in for years. But the ongoing process engineering, the ongoing development of systems and implementing new process improvements, that should should be part of everyday finance life. So Richard, from a, from a practitioner's perspective then, um, and, and considering your technologies and investing in digital skills and technologies within within your team in particular, you got any experience or wisdom you can share? So we've definitely been, we've started to use some machine learning sort of in terms of our processes to try and sort of understand where some of the inefficiencies are. 
and to close some gaps and make the uh, activities more efficient. I think one of the other interesting things that we've been rolling out over the last uh, six, 12 months is innovation training for all of the members of the finance team. Now, innovation for finance, you know, I think historically finance members of finance team would almost expect a system to be delivered to them that was developed as opposed to be part of the conversation. And I think it's a really interesting one that we're actually starting to get involved. And it's quite, again, it's quite challenging for finance people because we like facts and figures. We like, you know, definitives. We almost, when we get involved in a conversation, we almost want to predict the answer before we even have the start having the conversation. But actually it's, you know, I think there's, to be honest, there's definitely a place to expand in this area. I think there's more work to be done, but I think changing the mindsets of people who work in a finance function to be more innovative, to be more flexible, to sort of challenge the processes and the activities that they're doing now, and then see how technology can complement that. We're definitely doing a lot more work on that at the moment. And I, I mean, I think some of the work that we do in the background, Mark, in terms of some of the data points we're looking at in our business. Um, you know, we're looking at KPIs, which you wouldn't historically have seen as normal finance outputs. They're very much more linked to the operational capabilities of the business. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, there's definitely a conversation to, to push that one harder and further and to train and upskill your finance staff to almost in, to think a bit differently about how things uh, work in their teams. So certainly, you know, the three personas there, we're, we're certainly seeing CFOs' responsibilities expanding, changing, evolving constantly. There's a another fascinating fact, perhaps, that, that came out, and I'd be interested in both, both of your perception on this one, that it said, despite the expanding responsibilities, our survey found that 61% of UK finance leaders felt that CFOs are underappreciated. So CFOs are putting to this, you know, an ordinate, under this inordinate amount of pressure, expected to do all of the things that we've just talked about, and yet that they feel underappreciated. Do, do, do you see that? Do you feel that? Do you, you know, do you have conversations with with, with CFOs that are that are perhaps feeling underappreciated, or or is this just a sign of the times? Uh, Hannah, perhaps. I think it's an interesting one. I'd be interested to know whether those CFOs that feel underappreciated are able to deliver on their day-to-day role. And what I mean by that is to deliver on those three personas that we talked about. So that, and I'm not even going to even try and pronounce the first one, to be honest, Mark. But if we think about, if I think about some of the conversations that I have with CFOs is that they tend to be at the end of the investment line when it comes to technology, right? I don't know why, because actually you'd think you'd start with the this team that are producing the numbers, but finance tend to deal with all of the back office areas. And so sales will get an amazing CRM, they'll get invest, investment, marketing will get investment in marketing tech, and then finance are dealing with all of the outcomes of the processes that have been that sit in other teams, right? So I think there is always a challenge for finance in that they tend to be at the end of the line when it comes to technology rather than at the beginning. So they're always trying to catch up with other people. And secondly, they are then also having to deal with the outcome of the processes that have been driven from other parts of the organization, right? So very often that makes it a lot harder for finance teams to be able to transition into that more strategic role. So I think there is something about a business not recognizing the amount of effort that the finance team have to deliver on that role. And I, and I guess there's a challenge, isn't there, to those that feel that way is to understand, well, what is it? And I'm sure that there was a really interesting stat, I think, about when I, um, I think it was in one of the recent ACCA reports, actually, about how CEOs didn't see 
finance accreditations as necessarily an an absolute must have for for CFOs, which I found fascinating. Right? You th- you think you want, they obviously expected to have that skill and that capability within the finance team somewhere, but not for the CFO, which I think personally says a lot about that CFO role. So in terms of what that CEO is wanting from a CFO, and maybe that's where some of that that you know friction is coming from. Yeah, yeah. Rich, are you seeing that? Are you seeing underappreciation? Are you, are you hearing it from your colleagues and peers? To be honest with you, I was a little surprised by that one. And it's obviously quite different in different companies. And I think, again, Hannah's right, it depends on the appetite from the CEO and the relationships. But I think if, if I were to look in the mirror as a finance person, I think it's something I've tried to do myself over the last couple of years, which is actually just step out of my comfort zone and actually push into other areas of the business. So I think, you know, again, finance systems used to be seen as sort of something over to the right-hand side of the business, actually. But if you talk about digitalization, it should actually link right through the business, through all processes. You know, we talk about CRM, we talk about operational processes, and it should, you know, there should be a linkage through. So when you're thinking about a digital journey, it shouldn't just be about investing in a back office finance system. It should be something that complements the business and provides real-time data for the whole of the business. So as I say, I was a little surprised by that one, but, you know, I I can only reflect its personal experience and maybe the relationships that are there uh, in a business. But it it is for a lot of businesses that haven't yet invested in digitalization. I guess the finance function is still under the cosh in terms of still doing a lot of the production and the processing. And I think as we get into, you know, more digitalization, we can take some of that pressure away and hopefully free up time for the CFO to actually be out in the business talking to the you know stakeholders across the business and providing that sort of strategic insight and uh, you know and helping the business and also promoting finance and getting the view of finance changed slightly from being this sort of back office function that quite a lot of probably in smaller businesses still consider it, consider it to be so i'm sitting here and it'd be remiss of me not to ask this question, right? So perhaps Hannah, Richard, just which of the three personas that we've talked about, the chief facilitative officer, um, the chief futures officer, the chief fairness officer, would you say A, you're most like, or B, you're most likely to be like, uh, Rich? So I think, I mean, the truth is most of us are still more like the chief facilitative officer. I would prefer to be the chief future, future officer. I mean, I've... You know, the chief fairness bit's an interesting one for me because I uh, have been involved in some charitable activity myself for sort of over 10 years. But again, when I got involved in that, that was probably more of a personal thing than necessarily core to the role, but certainly uh, chief future officer. But obviously with the tools and the uh, data availability that uh, (laughs) is still a work in progress in most businesses, I would prefer to be the chief future officer, but facilitative is still the the, the meat and two veg, if you like, of the job. Anna. So if I maybe answer this in terms of what do I see most CFOs acting like? So the, the brilliant CFOs that I see are, like Rich said, they're acting in all three, right? And all three of those components will come up in a conversation when we're working with the team. So they're giving me my uh, objectives for implementing 
assist and they'll say, right, these are the outcomes and they'll cross very much three of those portfolios. They'll say words like agile, like I want, we want to be an agile finance team. We want to be focusing on numbers. We want to be data driven. All those words will come up. But what do I see most people sitting in when they come to us? And it's very much a, that first one. So they're in the business. They know what the business needs. Yeah. They just have, they're just waiting for that change and that trigger and that transformation to take place. So I think as we, I guess as we as we come to towards a, a wrap up here, and then I'll hand the power back back to you, um, Hannah. But I, I think there there is a number of things in our, our CFO report. And please, you know, do do reach back out if you if you'd like us to signpost where to to get the findings from the from that CFO four point zero report. But I think the post pandemic CFO is is adopting and developing new skills, perhaps hats that they were wearing that they weren't wearing before the pandemic. And the chief facilitative officer, the chief fairness officer, chief futures officer, you've got to see all of those roles playing a, a you know, huge part in any organization as we as we kind of roll, roll forward, not least the use of technologies, but also the DI stuff and a, a whole raft of things that the CFO now, now needs to, uh, to pick up and be cognizant of and be very aware of in their organization. So, Hannah, I'm going to hand back to... Um, I'm going to hand back to you to uh, to close us out here. Yeah, no, and thank you, Mark, for being such a great host. It was very strange being on the other side of um, of the questioning, and uh, you know, thank you both, <laughs> thank you, Rich, for joining us today. So, for those that are interested, there's some actually some really interesting factoids in this report, and you know, we've only got a limited amount of time, and Mark did very well to keep us on track, so we haven't covered everything that's in there. So, if you have the opportunity to download the report, we'll put the links in the show notes so people can actually go down. And have a look and download that report. And, you know, we'll, sh- we'll start share. We're going to be starting to share a number of those interesting facts on the um, the ITAS social as well and my social. So if you're interested, you know, do like and follow and take us through. So a massive thank you to both Rich and Mark for joining me, uh, joining me today. It's been an it's been lovely to be able to answer questions instead of ask them, um, and and to, to all of our listeners, like I said, there's some great information in there. If there's any follow up questions that you guys had have, would love to hear it, and I might even be able to convince Rich and Mark to do a follow up session. So thank you very much for joining us today, <laughs> and guys, I would love to hear your thoughts on this report as well.